We're in a new series, um, Church Victorious. We're doing something that I don't always do, and that's read through a book of the Bible. We're, 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 we're pouring through the text of it. Six different chapters. Oftentimes I preach uh, topically, but in this case what we're doing is we're letting the Bible just lead us in some conversations through the scriptures in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And so last week, if anybody remembers, we had this idea, this, this thought that, that we started talking about. That God has great plans for us. Everybody look at me for a second. God has amazing plans for you. you got to know that. He has things for you to do. Before you go back to your phone for a second or you're texting or Facebooking or Instagramming, because people do that in church now, like in a good way. I'm not slapping wrists. People are posting different things. They're checking in, all that stuff. Just track with me for one second. God has great plans for you. But before we can get to what needs getting done, we've got to know who we are in Jesus. In other words, who you are informs what you do. For many of us, though, the opposite becomes true. What we do informs who we are. And therefore, depending on what life looks like or feels like, it's how we draw our identity. It's how we, we feel validated. It's how we feel close to God. And if you're out of a job, well, all of a sudden, your relationship with God begins to suffer or you're not making enough money and where is God? And all of these things, these situations and scenarios that have a measure of importance oftentimes dictate our value and our worth. And that's not what God intends. In the book of Ephesians Six chapters, they begin to layer kind of like a cake, like a multi-layered cake. And at the end of it, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is going to call the church to battle. Because there are things that we need to get done as a church. And so the most famous passage in Scripture regarding armor, and putting on the full armor of God. That's here, that's in the book of Ephesians. But before we get to that... Paul spends a lot of time talking about who you and I are. So we're going to pick it up right where we left off. Father, be with us. We thank you that you're good and gracious to us. We love you. And we're inviting you here further this morning to have total control over our lives and our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. When is the last time, think about this for a second, you went out of town and had to take an actual suitcase? Think about when you used a suitcase, think about the last time you flew on an airplane. What did you do? You, you, you packed your bags. You got to the ticket counter, right? I mean, you might have had your tickets, but you've got you've to you get clearance. You've got you to take care of all the things that need to get taken care of. And you always check, or at least I do, do I have my luggage tags? Anybody ever lost luggage before? Many hands, many hands. We've got friends who've been in Europe 
on a big two-week European trip and haven't had their luggage yet. Okay, four of them, five of them, four of them, can't even remember. But my point is this, when we, when we pack our bags to go on a trip, what do we do? Well, we, 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 we pack the bags, we, we get to the taking counter, and you check to make sure that your luggage tag is, is where it needs to be. And if you don't have one, you take that little cheap piece of junk tag that they have at the counter, you know what I'm talking about, with a little elastic kind of rubber band thing, and you write your address on it, and you loop it around one of the handles, and off you go. And the reason that you do that is because you want to be able to identify what belongs to you and what does not belong to you. Tracking? My dad, perfect example, my father, uh, he used to travel a a great deal uh, for work and for business, and on one of his flights back into St. Louis, uh, you know, his, his bag is coming down the conveyor belt, and he grabs his bag, and lo and behold, when he gets to the hotel, or actually he gets to our house, he opens the bag. And surprise, none of it was his stuff. And there was another gentleman at a hotel in St. Louis with a bag that looked just like my dad's. And in his hotel room, he opened it up, and lo and behold, there's all my dad's clothing. And if you knew the guy who he mixed up bags with, his name was Jack Buck, who was the, the main announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals. So this was like a dream come true. Okay? If you grew up in St. Louis, Jack Buck somehow gets a hold of my dad, calls him on the phone, and says, Hey, I got your luggage. My dad says, I, I got yours. So they meet up. Have a bite to eat. Jack Buck gives him a bunch of baseball tickets for some upcoming games. Really cool story. My point is this. A simple tag on your luggage would remind you whose bag is whose, would help you identify what belongs to you. I mean, think of the things that you do. You, you, you've got your penmanship, your name, your phone number, your address, all of the things that help identify if it's yours. And what you'll see in your, in your seat, don't use this as an actual luggage tag, but we're going to use it as a practical illustration for us, is you've got a little tiny cheap tag in your car, in your, in your car, in your seat, And at the end of service, I'm going to give you a little practical moment for you to be able to write some identifying information on it to help remind you who you belong to. But before we do that, I, you know, we've got some mission trips coming up, which means people are going to be using luggage a lot. And if you know where the trips are, we've got a trip to Cuba, we've got a trip to Australia, we've got people going, we've got people in other countries that I can't even talk about on a microphone right now. But here's what we want to do. If you know Jason Hubbard, who was up here a minute ago, he is going to be leading our Australia team, not only locally here, but our, he's helping lead our, our regional team, correct, for all of every nation and the entire team that's coming. So I wanted to make sure that his bag was easily identifiable. Jason, would you come up here for just a second? Because... Our fearless mission trip leader, we got him the greatest luggage tag of all. That's a, it's an infinity gauntlet from, 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 the new, 
from the new Avengers movie. So, so I wanted to make sure. Yes. So, it is the worst luggage tag in the history of the world. But when I saw it on Amazon, I could not resist. So, our fearless leader is going to have the Infinity Gauntlet somewhere on his luggage. We will be looking for a picture to verify that you, in fact, are using your luggage tag. And now, guess what? The second his bag comes out on the belt, you know what? No one will be even be mildly confused as to whose bag this belongs to. You tracking with me this morning? Because a lot of times when people engage with us, they have moments where they don't actually know who we belong to, and that's a problem. We have interactions, and it's not very clear who we are and who our Father is. And yet, the Scriptures teach us that we are not of the world. We are to be set apart, holy, and that God has given us a special and unique identity. But oftentimes we forget, and so Paul takes great, uh, he takes great time and investment. He's sitting in a prison, and he wants to make sure that the churches know who their identity is. Turn to Ephesians 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. I'm going to read a rather lengthy portion of text. We read through the, la the first six verses last week. And one of the things that we came out of the, the letter of Ephesians to the early church is that A, God has called us and he's made, he's, he says that we are blessed. He also says that we are chosen. And he says that we are sons and daughters. And so this morning, I'm going to build on top of that. Like a multi-layered cake, the base level is that you and I, the Bible says, the scriptures tell us, and God says it, and Paul writes it, that you and I are called blessed, verse 1. But in verse 2, we find out that God, not only, not only are we blessed, but we're chosen. That God's heart beats specifically for you and that he calls you sons and daughters. But that's not all, church. Ephesians 1, 7 through 14. The scriptures tell us that in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul writes the longest sentences in the history of the world. So uh, that's a lot to swallow. But let's keep going. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So you are blessed. 
You are chosen, you are sons, and you are daughters. And verse 7, Paul writes something else that is identifying information for you and I, and that is this, that you and I are redeemed. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's amazing. Let me give you an example here. One of my favorite movies, I just watched it again. I forgot how great it was, is Gladiator. Now, if you don't do bloody movies, don't watch that movie. <laughs> but there's this, the opening scene of the movie, most people miss the significance of it because it's setting up the stage for the entire film. So you've got this guy named Maximus who is a general in the Roman Empire. And Rome is at war with Germanic tribes, and there's Marcus Aurelius, who's the emperor, and they're getting ready to brawl. They're getting ready to have another fight, and, and Maximus, the general, has a servant with him, and they're standing looking out upon the battlefield, and the, all these Germanic tribes are there with their weapons, and they're, and they're yelling and taunting the Romans, and they're getting ready for a fight, and Aquintus, the servant, looks at Maximus, and he looks at the field, and he says... People should know when they're conquered. And Maximus looks at his servant and he says, Would you, Aquintus? Would I? And the whole movie is about Maximus refusing to give in to this idea that he has been conquered. The Bible says that we are redeemed, and that's a very churchy word. And we use it in a bill of sale, like you, you, you know, you redeem coupons, right? There's a measure of exchange that happens. But understand that we have an enemy, and he would love for nothing more than for you and I to believe that we are living a life that has been conquered, that we are under the, 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 just the, 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 the oppression of our enemy, that you're conquered, that there's no hope. So because there's no hope, because you've been defeated, just give up and give in. But the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. In fact, Paul writes and he is reminding the church, the church that's filled with dysfunction, that's filled with hurting people, that's filled with people who are trying to get whole and trying to get healthy, and he reminds them and says to them, you are redeemed. Don't ever forget it because you have an enemy who would love nothing more than for you to forget that what Jesus did for you on the cross is enough. You have been redeemed. To take it a, a step further, sometimes when we, when we talk about these things, I, 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 there's a glaze, right, that comes over the church. And, and, I, and I get it. When we start using these words sometimes that Paul writes about, redemption, atonement, sanctification. We don't use them anywhere else. So I'm trying to break it down for you. When Jesus went to the cross for you, he redeemed you and I. In other words, 
He made an exchange. He paid the price, and the price that he paid was for your sin and my sin. All of us have dysfunction. It does not take long. I've got four kids, and every single one of them, already even my two-year-old, there is a nature inside of them that is bent towards sin. You can't escape it. There's nothing you can do. And so not only is it an act of sin, it is the nature that we are born with, a nature that loves self and exalts itself before our Heavenly Father. And there is a price to be paid for sinning against a perfect and holy God. But God himself sent his son Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we could not live, and he redeemed you and I. He paid the price for our sin, meaning your sin yesterday, your sin today, and your sin tomorrow has been paid for. You've been redeemed. You've been <sighs> redeemed. That's who you are. And yet oftentimes we walk around ashamed, don't we? Feeling guilty, ashamed for our life, ashamed of our decisions. And the Holy Spirit can use that. But understand, that is not who you are. When the luggage is coming down the conveyor belt, that is not your bag to pick up anymore. Tracking? You're redeemed. I love it. <clears throat> Bible says this, though. I'm skipping some verses. There's a lot to talk through uh, between verse 7 and verse 13, but for time's sake, I'm not going to be able to. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians from now until Jesus returns if I don't move us along. So, skipping on down to verse 13, the, the scripture, Paul writes that you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believe that you are you are marked. You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until, until when? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You and I are blessed. We are chosen. We are sons and daughters. We are redeemed and we are marked. Some of you have tattoos, and you know what it's like to have a, a mark put on you. Some of you have tattoos, and you think to yourself, I wish I could get this removed. Some of you are sitting here, and you're wishing you had a tattoo. If you've ever seen, I kind of actually wish I had a tattoo. My brother-in-law has, like, two sleeves, and I'm kind of jealous when I, when I see it because it looks really cool. Whatever. <clears throat> The scriptures say that we've been marked. And the same word, the word seal, in reference to the mark, it was the same, in the same way that you would you'd roll up a, a scroll, right? And then you'd put a seal of wax on it, and then you would stamp it with your ring. It was marked. So that the person that was carrying it and delivering it, if somehow that seal was broken, you would know that the contents of it have, been, have escaped. The contents of it have leaked out. If it was private, well, you knew it wasn't private for very long because somebody else had read it. The contents of it were supposed to be sealed up and protected. 
It also identified who the letter was going to, or excuse me, who the letter was coming from. It identified because people would have very unique wax signet rings, or however you say it, signet? Signet rings, thank you. So they had unique distinction so that when the letter came, you would instantly know who this belongs to. And so when Paul is writing, he's, he's giving us imagery here that should, should give us great confidence that you and I have been marked by something. We have been stamped by something. And that something does two things. It seals up something inside of us. It protects it. It's a guarantee of what's to come. And what is to come is eternal life. That has been sealed up and there is nothing you can do, your mama can do, or your daddy can do to change it. And that is amazing news. You can't jack it up. You can't sin your way out of it. That isn't how it works. When the Holy Spirit marks you, you are forever changed. But it also reminds us who we belong to. The stamp of God upon us sets us apart. And your life is to tell a story. And when that scroll is unrolled, we get to tell the story of who God is and how he has changed our life. But before that thing even gets untied, before the seal is cracked open, so to speak, it's easily identifiable who we belong to. This is where I want to sing signed, sealed, and delivered, but I won't. I won't do that. I'm going to leave that for Jason. I'm going to leave that for Jason. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Paul writes all these things, church. He says, church, don't ever forget you're blessed. When the wind starts blowing in your life, don't forget that you're chosen. When the earth starts to quake, don't you, don't you forget that you are a son and a daughter. Don't forget it. When you start to feel ashamed, don't forget that you've been redeemed. And when you look out at your, your home, your life, your family, your community, don't ever forget that you've been marked and you've been marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. For this reason, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all God's people, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In other words, you can have all those things and these identifying things can be true about you and you still need to know God better. It doesn't matter that I'm a pastor or that I know how to worship or that I raise my hands to the roof in worship. I still get to lean in and invite God to open my eyes and my ears that I might know him better. I don't ever arrive. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I'm going to say that one more time. Here's what he's praying for, that your eyes, the eyes of your heart would be open. He's praying that you know the hope to which he's called you. And that you would recognize that there is no power on this planet that even comes close to the kind of power that God has given you and that he has given me. It is incomparable. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is to be the representation of the fullness of God? The church. And why can the church do that? Because we have been marked. In the same way that Peter was, was cowardly in denial of Jesus and then has a moment where not only does he get saved, theologians say, but he, is, he, is then, he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit that instantly transforms him. He is marked, stamped, changed. He's made new. That's what God does to us. And when we work together, when we walk in unity, we walk in the unity of who we are, chosen, blessed, sons and daughters, understanding the fullness of God's redemption for us, walking in the beautiful, incomparable power of the Holy Spirit, you know what that does to the world? It shows them a picture of God that is, in many ways, irresistible. Maybe that's too far because there are many who still do. But it at the very least shows God for who he is, the fullness of him who was the head of the church. You know, I, I read on Facebook yesterday, I, <laughs> I use social a lot, using it for church stuff, personal stuff, Facebook market, you name it. So I, I'm constantly taking inventory of what things are posted. Not because I'm stalking you, but just things. Orlando, New York, you know, everywhere we've got Every Nation churches, our churches like just about every EN church in the world. <laughs> That's a lot of other churches that we're liking. And so you get, you get to have interactions with people. And so one of the things that I was reading yesterday was that somebody wished that God would show up in their life like he did in the Old Testament. I used to say the same thing because when I read the Old Testament, I see God just, I mean, he's a wrecking ball. And how easy it would be to believe if I saw God show up in a pillar of fire, right? 
or I saw Elijah or Elisha perform an unprecedented miracle. Somebody coming back to life. Are you kidding me? To walk with Abraham as he's hearing God speak to him, as he's preparing to sacrifice his son, an angel shows up or God shows up. What? The miracles of Moses, right? The Red Sea parting. And the Israelites walking across on dry land. We haven't even talked about the plagues that racked Egypt. I mean, come on, if, if we could just see that, right? Wouldn't it be amazing? That's what people are getting at when they write something like that on social or, or when we think it. Man, wouldn't it be easier if Jesus would just show up and tell me what to actually do? That's one that I think about. I just wish Jesus would show up and tell me exactly the decision I need to make. Come on, Jesus. And what Jesus is in heaven thinking, I kid you not, is I have sent you my presence. And I've sent it in the most explosive, dynamite, life-changing way. And it's called the Holy Spirit. And I love this. When you read the Old Testament and you read Hebrews as well in the New Testament, you know what's amazing is that oftentimes we look back at longing in the Old Testament or the ways of old, wishing that we could see Jesus or wishing we could see the miracles of the Old Testament and the prophets, etc., etc., etc. But what we forget is that nearly every single hero of the Old Testament was looking forward with a longing in their heart to see God move in the way that you and I get to experience every single day. Hear that for a second. The heroes of the Old Testament were dying to know what it would be like to live the kind of life you and I get to live every single day because of the Holy Spirit. You see, Samson had muscular strength. Oh, but these men of old, they longed to know what it would really be like to have the kind of strength living on the inside of you where you could resist sin. They longed to have the power of the Holy Spirit to know what it was like not to just experience God on the outside, but to experience God on the inside. There was a longing to know the incomparable great power of the Holy Spirit. In churches, you're sitting in a chair this morning. My question to you is, do you know that power? Do you know that you have been marked and that you have been forever changed by the Holy Spirit? That when you pray because God lives inside of you, that you can lay hands on the sick and see people made well. That you can, in fact, pray for God to move and to move in miraculous ways and he does. God heals. He moves. He wrecks and changes and he transforms. And that is because you and I are filled with the very presence of God.
Moses, what was it like to have God give you the Ten Commandments? Moses is wondering what it's like to have the law, the Spirit, written on our heart. Well, he got to hold the ones written on stone, but we get to carry ones written on our heart. It's extraordinary. Elijah, what was it like to raise someone from the dead, to see life fill their body? But Elijah's begging to know what it was like to be dead on the inside, but brought back to life by the Holy Spirit. What is it like to be made new? I can't wait to get to heaven and get to sit down with some of the men of old and get to trade stories. God's resurrection power lives inside of you, church. And if you can walk away with anything today, it's that truth that you're redeemed and that God has marked you, but he's marked you with power. He's marked you with the very spirit of God, his very presence, his resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That's crazy talk. And yet that is exactly what Jesus has done for you. He died. He rose again on the third day. He spent 40 days training his disciples. Then he returned to heaven and he said, I've got something, I've got something else to give you. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit changed their life forever. So here's what we're going to do right now. We've only gotten through Ephesians chapter 1, church. We are building towards the mission of the church. But before we can get to what we're supposed to do, we're camping out on who we're called to be. What are you? You're blessed. What else? You're chosen. What else? Sons and daughters. What else? You're redeemed. What else? You are marked. And you are marked with resurrection power. That is who you are. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to wrap service. We're going to land the plane. But as we're praying, here's what I want to invite you to do. I didn't actually take one apart or pull the piece of paper out to make sure that you could actually do it easily. But there's little luggage tags on your chair. And if you're like me, there are things about your relationship with God, the identity, the who you are in Christ that you tend to forget. And so my invitation to you, and if you don't want to use this one, that's fine. Write something on your mirror at home. Get an Infinity War luggage tag and hang it on the rearview mirror of your car. You know, do, do something so that you see it, but write on it the very thing that you need to be reminded of. Some of you need to be reminded that God has chosen you. And all you need to write on that little luggage tag is the word chosen. And then you need to hang it somewhere where you can see it and be reminded. Some of you need to be remembered that you're forgiven. Reminded you're forgiven. Some of you need to be reminded that you're blessed. That you're accepted. That you're favored. That you're loved. Some of you need to be reminded that you're filled with power. God's grace. Father, 
We love you and we worship you this morning. God, I'm praying that this wouldn't just be information for us. God, but that it would be transformative truth for us. God, what do we do with this? But, but honestly, rest in the knowledge of who you are. God, we walk with more confidence in our step. We walk with more security. We walk boldly, Lord, knowing who we are in Jesus. That you love us, that you've chosen us, that you've called us sons and daughters. Lord, that we're redeemed and that you've filled us with power. God, even as we're sitting here this morning, would you call to attention that which we need to remember? God, as we write in on this tag, God, let us be filled with the conviction, godly conviction, Lord, to believe what you say about us. God, to walk in the truth. Lord, we love you and we worship you. It's in your name we pray.